Welcome to your Lot and Parcel podcast. Our mission is to emphasize the importance of preserving historic landmarks for future generations, mental health, physical well-being, and a safe family home environment. We value your monetary support. Here's your host, Benjamin F. Diaz. Welcome to my show. This is your host. Who was Edgar Allan Poe, some may ask? The curator of the Edgar Allan Poe Museum in Richmond, Virginia, was gracious enough to visit with us and to tell us more about this man. He touches on his biological family, his foster family, his education, his literary career. And here we are, 173 years later, still discussing this man's legacy. Let's welcome the curator of the Edgar Allan Poe Museum to our show, Chris Hempner. There's no question that Edgar Allan Poe had a very, very unique style of writing, and his uh, legacy is uh, alive and well in Richmond, Virginia. And I'm glad to have Chris uh, with us on the show and to help us to appreciate this great uh, American writer a little more. So please tell us about yourself, Chris, and the organization you represent, if you would. Well, I'm Chris Sempner, the curator of the Edgar Allan Poe Museum, and the Poe Museum here is just turning 100. We opened in 1922. It was the vision of just a few, a few historians and artists and writers who decided that Virginia needed to create a monument in memory of Edgar Allan Poe. They it started was, as early as 1906 and the city turned them down. They said, why on earth would you want to make a monument for a poet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I know it. Uh... I'm glad uh, that came together in 1922. Yeah, 100 years. Please give us the uh, the website so that my listenership can follow along and see what's on there. Okay, you can find us on the web at poemuseum.org. So mm -hmm. pretty easy to find us there. Just Google Poe Museum and it usually turns us up. Yeah, there you go. So tell us, uh, what does the museum provide, uh, such as educational tours and such? Uh, tell us about it. Oh, yeah. The museum is comprised of four buildings surrounded the Enchanted Garden, which mm. was laid out in 1921 using the bricks from different Poe homes have been demolished over the years. And this group decided that instead of just building a statue of Poe, why not recreate one of his poems, a living, breathing, three-dimensional Poe poem? And that became the Enchanted Garden. The buildings grew up around it, and over the last century have become full of Poe artifacts, everything from the socks on his feet to the hair in his head. <laughs> and we regularly get school groups from up and down the East Coast, sometimes the West Coast now, and they'll come visit the museum, especially in the past few years, though, we've also been able to host virtual tours. So you might be in California, but still be able to tour the Poe Museum remotely. Yeah. We also have programs on the garden, poetry readings. We have a monthly unhappy hour, which is kind of like a happy hour, except way more depressing. <laughs> Each month we have live music, a cash bar with refreshments provided by local breweries or local restaurants. Mm -hmm. And each January, we have a Poe birthday bash. And it's usually takes all day. Sometimes we go to midnight. One year, we made the mistake of going 24 straight hours, but that's a little bit too exhausting. My gosh, I guess so. 
<laughs> but there's always Poe themed fun throughout the year. But we especially want to bring in the school groups. We we'd love to make sure that all the students out there, middle school, junior high, know about Poe because their teachers tell us that it's like pulling teeth to get kids interested in reading. Mm-hmm. They don't want to read until they read Poe. They they learn about the telltale heart, about how he chopped up the man and hid the parts underneath the floorboards. And that gets the kids' attention. So we just have a little opportunity to reach out to those kids before they completely give up the idea of reading for fun. But we take advantage of it whenever we can. Especially these past years during the pandemic, we've been able to appeal to groups from across the country, college, middle school, high school, sometimes even smaller kids will learn about Poe. Even adult groups will come. Hmm. That's interesting to me. Of course, you get visitors from all over the world, I, I know. Oh, yeah. Each year we get pre-pandemic, it's about 33 different countries and all 50 states would visit each year. So we had our guided tour translated into French, German, Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, Mandarin. And we kept adding translations to the list. How about that? <clears throat> well, that's great. Uh, I know he really gave... Uh, an impression. Um, so tell us uh, on this about this fellow here named Edgar Allan Poe. Tell us about him, his, uh, his biography and such. Uh, would you do that, please, for us? Well, Poe was born in 1809, the same year as Abraham Lincoln and Charles Darwin. Mm. And he grew up to be the first internationally influential American author, in addition to inventing the detective story 46 years before the first Sherlock Holmes mystery came out. He's also a pioneer of science fiction, Mm. of using real life scientific sounding details to make his fantastic stories seem like they could really happen. He was also a pioneer of the psychological horror story where he, instead of focusing on ghosts, goblins, vampires, his horror stories began to focus more and more on the darkness within man's own soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he also was one of the first writers who really championed the cause that writing no longer had to teach you something, a story no longer had a, needed to have a moral or have a lesson behind it. It no longer needed to be didactic. It should merely be entertaining for the sake of being entertaining. A poem could be beautiful simply to be beautiful. That was enough, art for art's sake. And this really took off during the 1850s, 1860s, but Poe was one of the first writers to really address that theme that art should exist solely for art's sake. And without that, we wouldn't have modern art. It really, a lot of it goes back to Edgar Allan Poe. And he started out as the son of an actress, which back then meant you were the lowest of the low. It's bad (laughs) enough to be the son of an actor, but imagine a woman go out singing and dancing on stage in front of a bunch of men, really a scandalous thing. In fact, Mm -hmm. when his mother died, there's a little bit of controversy about even burying her here at St. John's churchyard because Mm -hmm. he didn't really want an actress buried at the churchyard. She might contaminate everybody else. But his father ran out of the family. His mother died when he was two years old, just a month short of his third birthday. So he never knew his mother or his father. He and his brother and sister all split up and tend to live with different families. He went to live with a couple, John and Francis Allen, here in Richmond, and they gave him the middle name of Allen. Mm -hmm. And he grew up with them, but was never legally adopted, never changed his last name to Allen. And when he got old enough, he went off to the University of Virginia, 
but apparently the university likes it when you pay your tuition. And Mr. Allen sent him there without enough money for tuition, so Poe never paid and started gambling to raise extra money and got himself thousands of dollars in debt after the first nine months and dropped out of college. Then he decided, I'm gonna go see the world, have all sorts of adventures. He stowed away aboard a coal ship, carrying Virginia coal up to Boston. And there he published his first book when he's 18. A lot of poets from his time waited until they were 30 or waited until they were older to publish their first book, but he was in a hurry. He wanted to get things started right away. He thought he was gonna change the world. And the first book, Tamerlane, came out. Mm but he never owned a copy of his own book. They only printed about 50 copies. They weren't distributed. So he enlisted in the U.S. Army. Mm-hmm. And he was in the Army for about two years, made it from a private to a sergeant major, did so well, so quickly, he said, I should be an officer. And he actually hired a substitute to serve out the rest of his enlistment for him so he could go attend the United States Military Academy at West Point. Mm-hmm. Which didn't work out for him well because he never had any money to pay the substitutes. And then when he got to West Point, he quickly changed his mind about going there and he got himself kicked out after about nine months. Hmm. So after that, he turned to writing short stories. He realized that publishing books of his poetry, published three books of poetry, they didn't sell. There wasn't a really market for an unknown poet, Mm -hmm. but magazines were his at. Magazines were cheaper to produce. A wider audience was reading magazines and penny papers. And Poe said, that's where I need to send my work. Instead of writing works that simply impress the critics and get published nice leather-bound volumes with gilded edged pages, I'm going to publish things in the penny press and the mass audience is going to buy them up. And he actually told one of his bosses that you need to not listen to what the critics say. You need to look at the circulation this magazine to know if our stories are working and poe at the age of 26 got himself a job in journalism he'd won some short story contests he got a Mm -hmm. job at the southern literary messenger right back here in richmond and immediately within a year increased circulation the magazine seven times made the most popular journal in the south established himself the national reputation only got fired twice while he was there Mm -hmm. but at least after the first time (laughs) firing they knew they needed him back so they brought him back But from Richmond, he went on to New York, to Philadelphia, back to New York again, going to bigger and bigger magazines. And during his lifetime, his stories were being published in the leading magazines of the day, like Godey's Ladies Book, which had a circulation of about 100,000 copies a month mm. at a time when the nation only had about 20 million people. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So he was uh, a prolific writer. I understand uh, he, he did in his writings, he, he, it, it served as a paradigm, as you indicated, for detective stories uh, such as uh, Sherlock Holmes and, and such, uh, science fiction. Let me ask you this. Uh, when I think about his writings, uh, the, the gothic horror stories, it seems to me like he was the Stephen King of his time. Would that be fair to say? Well, he's a little bit more inventive and he lived at a time <laughs> okay. when, okay, you know, the genres hadn't been thoroughly defined. The detective genre really didn't exist yet. And science fiction, as we know, it didn't really exist. He called his science fiction tales, his scientific tales and his detective stories. He called his analytical tales. Mm -hmm. And he took a lot of pride in trying to do as many different things as he could. He didn't want to be typecast as just writing detective stories Mm -hmm. or just writing comedies. He wanted to try a little bit of everything. And he told his boss at one point that not one of my stories would be like the other one. I want to keep reinventing myself over and over again. 
And today we try to typecast our writers a little bit. We say, well, Stephen King, he can just write horror and we don't want to read anything else from him. Right, right. And yeah. we've kind of done that posthumously with Poe when we look mm -hmm. back and say, well, he was a great horror writer, but then we forget entirely about his detective stories, even That's though true. the Mr. Rise of America has an Edgar Award they give each year. Mm. And even Jules Verne acknowledged him as one of the pioneers of science fiction. But we really want to typecast writers and artists and actors today mm -hmm. and pigeonhole them. But Poe mm -hmm. fought against being pigeonholed. He said he wanted to try everything, make new things. He says that at his time, the United States wasn't very old yet. There was still a lot of doubt on whether this experimental nation would last. How much longer can we keep this crazy experiment going? And Poe thought, well, what we really need, we've got our Declaration of Independence. We've defined what our nation should be, but we haven't had our literary definition of independence, our creative Declaration of Independence. Right. How are we going to set ourselves apart from just being British literature? I mean, okay. we're basically this old British colony, and here we are still imitating the British. We're using their forms and their traditions. How can we do something new? So Poe said, that's going to be the definition of American literature is new, mm. new technology, new ideas, new genres. So it fits perfectly with detective stories and science fiction, because that was what was new. And that was Poe was trying to do. But today we really love his horror stories because oh, yeah. they've been adapted so many times to film and comic books and television that he really tapped into something. These new horror stories he was writing instead of setting them in these faraway castles long, long ago where there's some family curse and a mm -hmm. ghost, he started moving his horror stories up to his own time and the black mm -hmm. cat and yeah. the telltale heart. Oh, they yeah. could have happened today. Imagine these things almost seem contemporary. Poe moved them into the world that he occupied mm -hmm. and that made them classics. And yeah. he, as I mentioned earlier, he took the horror out of the, supernatural and placed it within the psychological mm -hmm. within that dark force within us that tells us to do the wrong thing for the wrong thing's sake. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, I, I appreciate that. He did stand alone when he came to those genres, you know, what put him on the map, Chris, uh, what made him famous? What, what story can you tell us uh, that he wrote? Well, one that really helped was The Murders in the Rue Morgue, the first detective story. Mm -hmm. And it was a big hit because it was something they hadn't seen before. There's this violent crime that's going to be committed. And there's a character who comes along who's able to solve the most bizarre mysteries using reason and analysis, acute observation, studying the crime scene, profiling the suspect. It's something that's kind of a new vein. And of course, this was popular in the United States, it was published in Graham's magazine, which was a very important magazine at the time. But then in France, it got published twice at the same time. Two different authors took credit for the story. So one sued the other one for plagiarizing him. And they went to court over it and made all the papers. And France was a buzz over who really wrote that? And then another editor came forward and said, neither one of you wrote that. This American guy named Edgar Poe wrote this story. So mm -hmm. then the French got really interested in some of these Poe stories have been gradually getting translated and published over in France. And before you know it, 
Charles Baudelaire, the great French poet and critic, started translating all Poe's stories. And since then, Poe's works have been in print all over Europe, the United States, and Asia. Mm. And then the gold bug came out. And the gold bug was so popular, it got adapted into a stage play during Poe's lifetime. It's a treasure hunt mystery where they have to solve the mystery by decoding a cryptogram that gives them a series of clues they have to follow to find the buried treasure. So it's basically the plot of the Da Vinci Code, mm. National Treasure, and that great classic film, The Goonies, all oh, yeah. rolled into one. It all goes back to the gold bug. But then just two years later, The Raven came out. Just when mm. Poe was about to give up writing poetry, it seemed like his short stories were selling better. The Raven made him a household name. Everybody was reading at a time when you didn't go home to watch television or to stream videos. You read poetry. You played music together and people were reading it and they're paid mission to go see him perform the Raven up and down the East Coast. He had been Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Richmond, Norfolk, mm. and it created a sensation on both sides of the Atlantic. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the famous <laughs> British poet, wrote to him and said that your raven has created a sensation in England, a fit terror. Everyone's reading it. She described how one of her friends had a bust of palace in her library, just like the one in the poem, and was afraid to look at it at night out of fear that a raven would fry, fly in the window and land on it. Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. You are listening to your Lot and Parcel podcast. Please tell a friend and support the educational program by leaving us a rating or review. We thank you in advance. Most have heard the name Edgar Allan Poe. However, in today's show, my guest is revealing a little more about what drove this man's life and to have left his literary legacy for future generations. People from all over the world come to experience the museum in Richmond, Virginia, and I would encourage you to do the same. You will see what the museum offers by clicking the link found in the show notes. Let's get back with him, the curator, Chris Hempner. I know the Raven, um, well, it would seem to me that his writings were, were very cathartic, Chris, because uh, he speaks of grief in the Raven, um, overcoming everyday life, and uh, even to the point of insanity. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, he, he suffered from depression, didn't he? Yeah, Post suffered from depression and a lot of loss in his life. Yes. I mentioned he was only two when his mother died. Yes. And then when he was 14, he fell in love with Jane Stith, Craig Stannard. He called her the first purely ideal love of my soul, dedicated mm -hmm. his poem to Helen to her, thought she was Helen of Troy. And shortly after they met, she went insane and died and kept a vigil at her grave for a while after her death. Then five years later, his foster mother, Frances Allen, succumbed to tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. Then he got married. And his wife succumbed to tuberculosis at the age of 24. It seemed every time he really grew attached to someone, they were taken from him. Yeah. And Poe lived this golden age of mourning where people really knew how to mourn. There's a regimented etiquette to it. 
a woman would dress all in black for the first year. She'd wear a mm. black veil over her face for the first three months. She'd wear mm. black jewelry. If she wrote a letter, it'd be written on stationery with a black border around the edge of the paper. So mm. everyone would know as soon as they saw that black lined envelope that she was in mourning. Men, a little bit easier. They dressed in black armband for six months, but a woman could mourn for five or six years before she was finished mourning. Oh Queen my. Victoria set the standard. Her husband died in the 1860s, and she mourned for the next 40 years. She dressed in widow's clothing, so it was proper to know how to be a widow. And in those days, cemeteries were getting more and more elaborate, and mm -hmm. books were being published full of morning poetry. And if you read the magazines of the day, you've, you'd inevitably find poetry written by someone who's lost their beloved child or their husband or their daughter or their parent. And we actually have in our museum two collections of morning poetry from the 1840s, just all poetry about grieving over your lost loved ones. And often people would write about how they'd be reunited with their loved ones on the other side. The spiritualist movement became very popular in Poe's day. It really blew up right around 1848, a year before he died. Mm -hmm. And people were holding seances, trying to communicate with these people they'd lost. In addition to so many children dying in infancy, women were dying of tuberculosis, yes. which was yeah. easily spread, but they had no idea what was causing it. There were also major cholera outbreaks in Poe's time, yellow mm -hmm. fever, Oh my. So yeah. death was everywhere. But then when you read Poe's poetry, that's what's interesting. His poetry is not included in these morning poetry books we have. Mm. And I think the reason is because in those books, the poetry is all about being reunited. It's poetry to comfort us. But in The Raven, mm. this narrator begs the raven, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aiden it shall clasp the sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Mm -hmm. And what does the raven say? Nevermore. <laughs> and the conqueror worm, what's the message there? That the play is the tragedy man, its hero, the conqueror worm. That the end, no matter what we've accomplished, we're all just worm food. Even <laughs> in the sleeper, oh, the lady sleeps soft around her. May the worms creep. So love poem about a decomposing corpse with worms and maggots. And and Annabelle Lee, at least we get a little bit more hope, you know. Yes, Annabelle you know, Lee. All the mm -hmm. night tide lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, mm -hmm. my life and my bride, her sepulcher there by the sea and her tomb by the sounding sea. <laughs> but he can never be reunited oh, yeah. with her. He can only just wait there exactly. grieving over her tomb. Yeah. So if you're depressed, Pose works probably won't help you much. They'll probably make <laughs> no, it worse. I think so. I think so. I think so. In fact, um, would you say that explains his maybe his uh, alcohol abuse? Would you say? Well, when he actually resorted to alcohol, it was times of great depression. Yeah. For instance, yeah. early on, he's working at the Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond, and he heard that his aunt and her daughter, Virginia, had fallen in hard times. You're going to move in with another cousin. He'd never mm -hmm. see them again. And he pleaded with them please don't give up on your Eddie, move in with your Eddie instead of with old Nelson Poe. You can't trust that guy moving with me instead. And he started drinking and, mm -hmm. and got reckless. And then later when his wife got sick, he turned to drinking again. And mm -hmm. he explained in one of his letters, he said that when she was stricken with tuberculosis, 
there were times when she got so bad, it looked like she was about to die. He prepared for her funeral. He prepared mm. to mourn her. And then she got better, and he thought she was cured. And then he allowed himself to be optimistic, and then she got worse, and he prepared for her funeral again. Then she got better. He said it felt like she was dying over and over oh, again. And he said those five years of her illness, mm-hmm. where she was on the edge of death, I became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity. Mm. So sanity, seeing what the world was like, seeing what his wife was going through, the person who loved him most in the world, the person he loved most in the world, and watching her die, that was the worst thing you can imagine. And his only escape, he said, was drinking, was insanity, was escaping that horrible sanity. Exactly. Yeah. That's... um... So unfortunate. I, I know he died in 1849. He, I know there's lots of thoughts uh, or conclusions or uh, extrapolate as to how, would you know the cause of his death? Oh, no, we're not really sure of the cause yeah. of his death. There's about 26 different published theories yeah. about how he may have died. Right. And we know that Poe was traveling from Richmond up to Philadelphia, he stopped in Baltimore on the way. He was missing for about five days, and they found him semi-conscious, dressed on somebody else's clothes that didn't fit him. It was at a polling place on election day. And from there, they thought, oh, he's been cooped. Cooping was where political gangs would find somebody from out of town that nobody had missed. They'd beat him up. They'd get him really drunk, and they use him as repeat voters. they drag him all to the polls. They all sign their excellent line. Then they drag him back, switch their clothes, drag him onto the polls, sign their excellent line, and keep switching the clothes. That might explain why he's wearing somebody else's clothes. He spent his last four days in a hospital, delirious, in and out of consciousness, talking to shadows in the wall, not making any sense. And I think nowadays the doctors would be able to tell you what was wrong with him. But back then they thought, you know what your problem is? You probably got too much blood and they might cut you open or they think, oh, you got too much bile and they make you throw up or they blister you if they thought you had too much lymphatic fluid. And apparently they offered him some whiskey in the hospital, but he turned it down. So they offered him some beef stew. He didn't give us a lot of clues as to what happened to him. He couldn't remember what had happened to him, where he'd been those days, what became of his trunk of possessions, Mm -hmm. because he was traveling after all, where's his luggage? And he screamed the name Reynolds over and over again, but we never really definitively decide who Reynolds was. There was an election judge in Baltimore named Reynolds, so that could be the Reynolds he was referring to, but he didn't Mm -hmm. give us a first name that would have helped. And his last words were, Lord, help my poor soul. And he died at the age of 40. The doctor later wrote in the official mortality statistics for Baltimore that he died of phrenitis, which means inflammation of the brain. It's kind of a catch-all. Mm-hmm. So it could refer to meningitis, encephalitis, could refer to a lot of things. Yes. And one of the going theories now is that it's maybe tuberculosis meningitis, that the bacteria from tuberculosis was affecting the central nervous system. That matches his symptoms, but mm-hmm. we're not really that concerned. Inclusive, we, we can only base it on a letter that his doctor wrote about a month after he died. We've tried even testing the hair that survives a pose. There, a mm. lot of locks of hair were cut after he died. Mm. And they helped us rule out some things, but it hasn't been conclusive either. We ruled out the idea that it was probably illuminating gas and a buildup of carbon dioxide in his system. That looks mm-hmm. like it probably wasn't reflected in the hair. Mm-hmm. They ruled out lead poisoning and mercury poisoning, even though his mercury levels are really shot up in the last few months of his life. It looks like that wasn't enough to have killed him. Mm-hmm. So people are still trying to perform tests and figure out what exactly it was. But I think that 
we're still a long ways off because we're still just basing it on written accounts yeah. of his yeah. symptoms. Exactly. He's just uh, so far conjecture. Uh, I even heard one theory that he possibly, because of his brain inflammation, might have contracted rabies even, you know. So oh, there's all kinds of stories, but uh, uh, science will possibly tell us later on. Um, what can you tell us about the, the old stone house and how is it connected with Edgar Allan Poe, Chris? Well, the old stone house is one of the museum's four buildings, and it's the oldest house still standing in the original city limits of Richmond. It's the only pre-revolutionary war house still standing in downtown Richmond. Mm. There's older plantation houses around the city, and that's where the very wealthy lived. And But the old stone house is where a cooper and a blacksmith lived. He made barrels and horseshoes and nails. So this is how an average working class sort of fellow would have lived. And the house managed to survive miraculously all these years because in the late 1800s, there used to be a sign out front that said Washington's headquarters. Okay. And right. you could visit the house in the 1890s and they would tell you that Chief Powhatan built the house. Pocahontas got married here. George Washington had his headquarters here during the revolution and Patrick Henry had his law office here. All lies. Mm. But I think all these legends kept it from being torn down until the 20th century. And then it was about to be torn down in 1913. It was saved from destruction and it was given to the Poe Foundation so they'd have a place to house their Poe Shrine, which later became known as the Poe Museum. Mm -hmm. And behind it was an old junkyard. And that's what they decided to transform into the museum's enchanted garden. And since mm -hmm. then, they've expanded into three more buildings full of Poe stuff. But the old stone house was a landmark even during Poe's lifetime. He would have visited here and he was 15 years old. He was on the junior color guard that escorted the Marquis de Lafayette around town. Lafayette had been a huge revolutionary war hero mm -hmm. and returned to America in 1824 and toured the country. And while he's in Richmond, he made a point of visiting the state capitol, monumental church, the local Masonic lodge. Mm -hmm. But he never forgot the people who helped him along the way. So he visited this little stone house and thanked the family for all their help, you know, supplying his troops with flour during the Revolutionary War. And, mm -hmm. and he apparently patted their little kid on the head. They had a little boy, he patted the boy on the head. The family was so proud that Lafayette had touched the boy. They changed the boy's name to Lafayette right there on the spot. <laughs> okay. And Poe got to be on that honor guard that was taking Lafayette all over town that he would have been right here with Lafayette and that we think maybe that's part of what inspired Poe three years later to enlist in the U S army thinking, you know, you know, I'm pretty good at this. I should, you know, see where the army takes me. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the old stone house, it is open for visitors, correct? And, oh yeah. The whole museum's open for visitors. There's a visitor center, the stone house. There's the Elizabeth Arnold Poe Memorial building named after Poe's mother and made of pieces from one of Poe's childhood homes, like the staircase, mantles, bricks, woodwork. Mm -hmm. And then there's the tea house or the North building, which has a special exhibit just about Poe's death. Mm. Interesting. You had indicated about the, the enchanted garden. What are some of the highlights there that are reminiscent to Poe, Chris? Well, the whole layout of the garden is based on his poem to one in paradise, which starts Thou wast that all to me love for which my soul did pine, a green isle and the sea love, a fountain and a shrine, all wreath and fairy fruits and flowers 
and all the flowers are mine. Mm -hmm. So it's planted with flowers and trees and shrubs from his poems and stories. It has the fountain and a shrine made out of the bricks from the Southern Literary Messenger Office where he used to work. And as you explore the museum, you go from one building to the next. And the first building, look out for his childhood bed. This is where little Eddie used to sleep and dream dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. It's accompanied by things from his childhood home, by his sister's pianoforte, by family portraits, and even early manuscripts. We have manuscripts when he was still a teenager, learning to write poetry by taking notes on Shakespeare and Milton. And then we also have plenty of his early books. The first editions that were published in the 18. 20s and 30s and 40s the next building we've got his chair the very chair in which he sat while he wrote stories for the southern literary messenger the staircase for his child at home and then personal items like we've got his pocket watch we've got the gold pocket watch that poe owned when he was writing the telltale heart imagine this is the watch that was ticking 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 in his pocket when he wrote the line now a new sound came into my ears, a low, dull, quick sound, almost like that made by a watch in velvet and cotton. Yeah, yeah, I knew it well. It was the beating of the old man's yeah. heart. We've got that watch that Poe was listening to when he wrote that story. We've got his pocket knife. And the next building, we've got Poe's clothing. We're the only place that any, any of Poe's clothing that still survives. We've got his beautiful silk waistcoat, his socks, his walking stick the trunk he carried with him on his last tour when he's giving poetry readings in different cities. We even have a piece of his coffin. 26 <laughs> years after he was buried, yeah. so many fans came to see his unmarked grave that they actually started a movement to get him a marker for his grave. They moved him across the cemetery to a new spot with a nice big monument. As they're moving him, that 26-year-old coffin fell apart. Mm. And they got one last look at him. They said, I guess so. Yes, his skin was all gone, his, his yeah, bones. Yeah, yeah. But they said he had very nice teeth. Well, and they okay. scooped up the pieces of Poe and put them in a the new spot. But people saved chunks of the coffin. So we've got one of those chunks of the coffin. Mm -hmm. We even have a little lock of Poe's hair cut from his head just after his death while he's lying in state. People came to see the famous poet and clip locks of his hair. So we have one of them right on display right now. Mm. Interesting. My gosh. I understand you also have an online store in the museum there. What's available on the, on the store there? Oh, there's books and t-shirts and bubbleheads and Poe dolls, whatever you could want. Poe Christmas tree ornaments. So yeah. all the Poe you could want for the dough. There you go. Yeah. Very good. Let me ask you this other question, Chris, what are your thoughts, your thoughts of the importance of preserving Edgar Allan Poe Museum. Well, it's important to preserve the written language to yeah. actually encourage kids to want to read and to express themselves. We don't just want kids to read. We want them to use language to express their yeah. ideas and not just creative fiction, but also science and technology. What would the general theory of relativity be without Einstein's explanation, his, exactly. his visual analogies where he kind of breaks it down for us. We mm. need a mastery of spoken and written language. We need to be able to communicate our ideas. And that's the way we can continue to innovate, to explore, to create. Mm -hmm. So that's you. what this museum is about, just 
the power of imagination, the power of human expression. Exactly. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. The, the word uh, pictures, you know, uh, just uh, using your imagination and he had profound thinking, a really introspective kind of a man he was. Uh, Chris, how can my audience uh, learn more about this great American author and support your efforts there in Richmond, Virginia? Oh, just visit us online at poemuseum.org. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. We post regularly on YouTube. We have a Curator's Crypt series where we profile a different artifact every other week. So there's plenty of ways to find us online. But the best way is to always come and see us in person. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with you. And it's been great having you on the show. You, you, you really brought the, 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 the experience or the life of Edgar Allan Poe to life. I'm telling you, you did uh, the quotes and so forth. I, I congratulate you for that. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on your lot and parcel show, Chris. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. The theme music has been provided by Echo Foxtone. All the opinions expressed in the podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. We hope you will join us in supporting home and family through your monetary funding. For more information, please visit yourlotandparcel.org.